to the second episode of Highways to the Past. I'm Caroline Barry-Smith. And I'm Andrew Henderson-Schwartz. And you're joining the journey to understand a fascinating archaeological site being excavated as part of the proposed National Highways A428 Black Cat to Caxton Jibbock project, managed by Skanska. That's right. Each episode, we're chatting to different specialists working on this exciting site, which has been dubbed Field 44. So Field 44 is in central Bedfordshire, and people lived here in a small settlement from the Iron Age to the Roman period, around 2,000 years ago. Last time on Highways to the Past, you were introduced to the site and learnt about how the dig was planned and prepared in advance. So, if you haven't already, we'd definitely recommend listening to the last episode. Yeah, that's right, Caroline. And do you know who else has been listening to the latest news about Field 44? Steve Lamack on BBC Radio 6 Music, who was asking listeners to, to suggest an anthem based on this dig. <laughs> no way, really? Yeah, and the listeners suggested Can You Dig It by the Mock Turtles. A good choice, but maybe a little obvious. What would you have gone for, Caroline? Mm, well, see, I'm a, a bit of a metalhead and I do like rock music, so I'm going to go uh, ACDC, Deep in a Hole. <laughs> <laughs> I think maybe I'd have gone for something really kind of archaeologically nerdy and uh, the first cut is the deepest by Cat Stevens. Oh. <laughs> so, so for those of you listening who don't know what a cut is in archaeology, keep on listening as we'll talk about this later in the podcast. Anyway, we can't spend the next 20 minutes just thinking about song titles. But if you do think of any others, please do share your ideas with us using the hashtag A428BlackCat. So, Caroline, do you want to introduce what today's episode is all about? Yeah, uh, so later we're going to be chatting to some of the folks involved in processing all the finds and archaeological materials coming out of Field 44. But before that, we're meeting some of the people who are literally at the trowel's edge of work at the site. The archaeologists digging the site day in and day out. And this means we've been back on the road and back to some rather challenging podcast recording locations. And if you listen really closely, you might just be able to hear the stump plane that was flying back and forth over our heads and kept interrupting our recording. But anyway, more on that later. So for now, sit back, relax and enjoy as we take a trip back to Field 44, coming up now on Highways to the Past. So to tell us a little bit more about what it's like to work at Field 44, we're joined now by Al Wright from Cambridge Archaeological Unit, who's the site officer, and by Anna bordona Foz, who is from Molar Archaeology. Thanks for joining us, Al and Anna. No problem. Hello. Hello. So just to start things off, if you could just tell us a bit about what your role at Field 44 is, and a bit more about your background, about how you got into archaeology. So Anna, maybe we'll start with you. So as you well said in the beginning, I'm the site supervisor, so I usually look after the team, make sure they're okay digging whatever they're doing, doing some interpretations, so finding out what type of archaeological or archaeology we have found, so training them a bit as well, some members of the staff, and particularly I'm more training to do in the survey, 
So I go around with the GPS taking measurements and points so we can then recreate a whole plan of the site. Great, and what about yourself, Al? Uh, yeah, so I'm overseeing all of the field work here at Field 44, so I basically put in place the strategy to excavate the site, continuously reflecting on what we're learning and whether we need to adapt the strategy to better understand the archaeology. So Anna, you've mentioned that you're involved in uh, training um, some of the archaeologists on site. And How do you teach them what the difference between natural soil is and an archaeological feature or a man-made feature? So it's very easy to just say there's a difference in colour, but those differences may be quite small. Uh, so sometimes we need to go with things like texture. Whenever you are uncertain about something, you may want to stop using a spade and grab a trowel. So you can actually feel a bit more how compact maybe the ground is, um, how many inclusions they have, so more stones, less stones. So each deposit, which deposits are kind of like the layers in a cake. Um, so you may have the chocolate biscuit or the uh, cream that you put on top and then another biscuit. The, each one of those layers we call deposits. And we can tell how they've been created, how they've been formed with time, depending on different things like texture, inclusions. Uh, so those are key differences that helps us also then interpret and create stories uh, of what, why the feature was used, why was it put there, and how Ian they are being buried. So if you listen to episode one, you'll have heard from Gary and from Steve and Hannah that we know this site stretches over quite a long period of time. So Al and Anna, how do you know when the different things you're finding date from? As soon as we've exposed the site, we can immediately get an, some vague understanding of how old the site is. So enclosed settlements like this, we can see at Field 44, are really typical of the Middle, later Iron Age and, and the Roman period. So we can immediately understand kind of we can get a vague sense of how old the site is. So, stratigraphy is what I was referring to earlier on with my analogy of the cake. Basically, you have layers of the, each deposit uh, that has been formed, so you know the bottom layers are always going to be a lot older than the layers that are forming on top. Yeah, so once we've built up that relative understanding of the order in which the archaeology was uh, has built up on the site. We can use the materials that we find within those features or in those layers to give us an act to place actual dates on, on that stratigraphy. So that's pre predominantly done through pottery. So over the years we've built up a really, really strong understanding of pottery forms and sequences and where they date to. So Al, I know from reading the site reports and from chatting to um, Gary and Stephen Hanna in the last episode that you've been using some different scientific analysis on this project. How is that um, helping the excavation itself from informing your work? Yeah, we take samples of the sediment that we're getting on site, which, which is sieved to recover the plant remains from it, which is really important in telling us what crops were processed on the site, which crops might have been grown on the site, things like that, and which things might have been consumed on the site. So the samples are continually being processed whilst we're on site, so we're getting feedback on which features are producing really good assemblages of plant remains and which ones are not, so we can target those features for extra sampling. 
on site. I mean, it's it, it's it's rare that we we can get that feed that kind of immediate feedback. So Anna, um, Field 44 is obviously quite a big site and has a lot of different features to it. So how do you keep track of what's been found and where it's been found? So the main thing we use is we create a plan of the site, like a bird view, seeing it from the top. And to do that, we use the GPS system. So we go taking measurements on where the archaeology are visible. and. It's kind of like joining the dot kind of thing. You just take a measurement and the GPS draws a line in between each measurement that you take. And that gives us more details as well, like the level. So the level between the sea in case suddenly we have a mound, like a burial or something. So you can also see the difference between where the mound is and where the other archaeology remains are. After that, we start digging. So we put one meter slots in between the different ditches and anything that comes and is found within that slot gets its own number. That includes separating it between the different layers of the cake that I was on about. So it helps us then date if it's from the bottom layer, you know the bottom layer is going to be dated at that, but maybe the one at the top might have some Roman instead of ironates that we found at the bottom. We also use a digital recording system. So whenever a slot is finished, we do all our paperwork. We take details of what each layer looked like onto a digital app. And we add photographs so we can use it for later on the report. We have references to work from. And we also do what we call a section drawing on uh, the digital um, technology which is just a simple drawing just with a few lines where the layers will go. So obviously you're not recording a podcast every day so what's a typical typical day at Field 44 like for you? It's not how most people think you don't just go out, go out with your little brush and just start slowly taking the dirt off we actually do very heavy lifting and very heavy work. We use mattocks, spades, wheelbarrows. We move a lot of soil in one day. So I think the main thing for us is just keeping up that kind of feeling of we're a team and that the artifacts is not the only thing we care about. It's also just finding the general side story. So yeah, it's an empty ditch but why did they did that ditch there kind of thing? No. Yeah, there is a monotony to what we do. The, the way we construct, reconstruct the site emerges quite slowly. We're working through these really, the, the site's defined by this really substantial ditch, which is five metres wide and up to nearly two metres deep. It takes a good couple of weeks to, to dig through that. So you, you, that kind of gives you the sense of how slowly we're kind of, reconstructing this site how slowly their our understanding kind of emerges from what we're doing so cool and finally something that we're asking all of our contributors on highways to the past is what's the best thing about being an archaeologist so anna maybe we'll start with you on this one i'll say for me it will be telling the story of someone that was like me just 
finding out what that farmer, simple landowner or just someone that just had a dog and a little house on the outside rural areas um, was doing and what they felt like, what was their kind of lifestyle like. It's not all about history and the kings and queens, it's just about the normal people like me. I think just gradually adding more evidence to what we know of the past. I, don't, I think finding wonderful things is, is nice, but it's that just that gradual build-up of, of data that, that's the most important thing, gradually evolving how we view these past societies. now and and listening to that interview back and I think it's just so interesting to to hear about the often quite subtle ways in which those who are digging field 44 understand the different features of the site and I really enjoyed the analogy that Anna used about how archaeology is like a cake and that you have to to work your way through the different layers of the cake and understand what each of those layers contains yeah, like I also really enjoyed what she was saying with the, you know, the analogy of it being more of a biscuit layer. You know, they're very thin layers that you're working your way through, um, and so you know, sometimes, especially with geology and paleontology, it's it's quite thick layers. But archaeology, we, there are very thin layers to work your way through, and um, so the microscopic changes within within all these layers are so important but they are very very small and very slight so one heavy use of a, a shovel and the layer's gone so hopefully something else that, that you our listeners got from hearing um about anna and al's experience is that it's not quite like the movies paint the archaeologist's job out to be when when you watch indiana jones or you watch team radar there's often like kind of a little brush and you're brushing away some perfectly, perfectly <laughs> preserved artefact. Archaeology is that combination of hard manual work in terms of digging away big layers with, with a mattock or a shovel and then also that really delicate work where you're excavating an individual artefact or feeling a bit of soil to try and work out whether you're into the next layer yet or whether you've reached the bottom of the feature. And alongside that, there are, like they were saying, you could be digging and digging and digging site after site and find nothing. But luckily for us and, and for this podcast, we have found loads and loads of things at Field 44. And we're going to be talking next to the people whose job it is to go through and process these artefacts and, and prepare them for the next stage of the journey. We've travelled to our processing centre, which is just outside Northampton, and we're joined now by Mola Fines and Environmental Processors, Jay Spears and Rob Pearce. 
So guys, um, could I ask, let's go for Jay first. What is your role and background? So I am a finds and environmental processor here at MOLA. My background is mainly in museum work and preventative conservation. So I did my master's in curation and then worked at a couple of national trust properties, uh, doing a lot of collections care work and then eventually moved into archeology span last year. So I'm a relatively new addition to the team here. Lovely. And how about yourself, Rob? I'm also a finds and environmental processor here at MOLA. Um, I went to University of Leicester, um, graduated in 2016 uh, from my master's, and I started working for MOLA here in uh, 2017, uh, February 2017. Um, initially, I was working in the field. Uh, I'm now working here full-time. I started here in sort of, it was October 2020. During the pandemic. Wow. (laughs) (laughs) Great. So, and a lot of our listeners are probably not aware that there are archaeological processing centres. So if you guys could just talk us through quickly, what happens when finds arrive from site to this processing facility? Um, So initially things will come into into, uh, the office here. Um, uh, initially they'll be uh, stored until we have the opportunity to get the bulk finds washed they will then be washed and then dried and then subsequently they'll be held and then we'll mark them with various codes Uh, and then after that they'll be sent away to specialists for them to do their analysis sounds like a very like administrative heavy quite organized process Although it, it, I'm sure it's, it's. I mean, how many buckets, how many loads, how much stuff are we talking here? Literally, in the case of environmental samples, it's often hundreds of buckets. So as we've been walking through the, the facility today, we can see there's lots of different activities and processes happening here. So would you like to just to talk through some of the different um, activities that happen at, at this processing centre? Jay, why don't you start start us off? So one of the largest tasks we deal with is washing our bulk finds. So this generally comes down to pottery and animal bone, which comes in from site in some states, uh, generally covered in mud. Essentially, it's come straight from the ground, straight to us. So it's the case of very patiently, a lot of the time, making sure it's clean, scrubbing it with brushes, sponges, being as delicate as we can to keep it in a relatively stable state before we then dry it off and then we can bag it from there and deal with a lot cleaner finds which are easier to look at identify and decide what needs to be done to it so now we found a few wooden finds on site such as a a log ladder and and piece of worked wood which from what we gather is quite rare because usually wood rots away unless the soil conditions are perfect um so do these require kind of any special treatment when they arrive? So a lot of the work we put into our wooden finds is trying to keep them in as much of the same condition as they come into us. So that might be keeping them as wet as they were when they came in, uh, generally away from any direct sunlight or UV lights. Can keep them in the fridge that we have in our facility to sort of maintain the temperature on them. And like I said, it's trying to as best keep it as it was until it can be sent to 
a specialist who has a lot more experience and expertise in preserving that than we do. And with all this work going on and you've 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 processed, you've worked through it, you've administered it, it's all got labels. What happens next? Now an index will be made of all of the all of the finds and things that we will have that we will have processed, that we found. And once that's been built, those finds will be sent off to the respective specialists so that they can do their analysis and so that the report can be written. Uh, with their input and then after that when we have all of the all of the finds back uh, then they'll be sent to uh, they'll be sent onwards to the archive team who will send those on to a long-term storage place which is usually a museum. We were speaking to Anna and Al earlier and they said there are quite a few misconceptions with what an archaeologist does. For, for them, it's the misconception that you're sat out in a beautiful, lovely field, the birds are singing, the butterflies are flying around, and you're dusting off some old ancient tomb. And for, for yourselves in the processing team, what do you find are the, the misconceptions between what you do and what people think you do as an archaeologist? Um, yeah, there definitely is this perception that an archaeologist is solely those who work in the field and as much as yeah they are archaeologists that's only one type of archaeologists so I came into archaeology through an anthropology background and then that led on to me studying museum curation and then realizing oh I can sort of do preventative conservation work in an archaeological sense and that's I still find myself to be an archaeologist that's how I describe my career to people yeah we are still we are still archaeologists just a different kind I suppose yeah we're still very hands-on we're still studying the archaeology we're still studying all of the artifacts and things um, we're just answering I suppose different questions doing a different part of the process I guess you're, you're still working on on the archaeological material just Absolutely. Not on, not in the field itself. You're working mm. to in in a more contained context, I guess. Yeah, we just have radiators inside. <laughs> <laughs> and so, something that we've been asking to all of our contributors on this podcast is, what is the best thing about being involved in archaeology? Um, so, Rob, maybe we can start with you on this one. Um, for me, it's probably it's probably discussing with. Uh, people outside archaeology, people like my family, my friends, um, and just members of the public about archaeology because people are generally really interested in it. It's just a very interesting way to engage with people, and we we process archaeological artifacts. We get to hold them in our hands. We get to really see history up close, which I think is really interesting. Jay, what about you? For me, my favourite thing is how hands-on it is. So I always liked studying history, but especially coming up through school, I always thought that history was something behind sort of a proverbial glass wall in a museum or such. But then being able to do this as a, as a career and get such a hands-on experience with history and have such an interesting way of learning, that's my favourite thing about archaeology.
So actually, Andy, I have something to tell you. Although we have um, multiple locations for Mola offices and sites, um, I've never actually been here before to the Northampton site. Um, so for me, it was it was quite amazing to walk in and see just masses upon masses of boxes and finds and th people labeling things people cleaning things it's quite a vast operation here yeah it's definitely a, a, a kind of hive of activity um and for people obviously listening you can't see where we are now but we're actually in a in a big kind of industrial warehouse um it's been sectioned off into various sections we have a big area of loads of buckets being stored we have areas with the flotation tanks um and there's different activities happening all over the place. Yeah, it's absolutely, it's, it's buzzing. It's buzzing with activity. And I know uh, sites, field sites, archaeological digs are always buzzing with, acti um, with activity. But I never actually thought about how active the processing side is and how vast it is. And I know like you could be on a site for two weeks, but the actual processing that comes with that is hundreds of buckets and, and months and months worth of study afterwards. So it's, mm. it's great to see just that this, this abs is almost a hidden side or a side that's it's not actually spoken about as much as what public see, which is the actual digging side of a site. I think it just, this just shows we need to expand our definition of what it means to be an archaeologist, that it's not just someone who works out in the field it's also people who are working here in the processing facility but also people who are the specialists analyzing all the various finds um and equally people that work in engagement and communications as well I was gonna like, say, us. That like us. <laughs> we, we are we are archaeologists um, and i think we can call ourselves that absolutely and i think caroline from being here you really kind of get a sense of the journey that each artifact goes on from from being uncovered on the field through the processing section into the archive and it really bridges that gap between an artifact that's found in the ground and how it ends up behind the display case in a museum. with that we once again have to give a huge thank you to each of our guests and to you for listening. Next time we'll be learning more about the scientific and environmental analysis going on and what it can tell us about the site. We hope you'll join us but until then I've been Andrew Henderson Schwartz and I've been Caroline Barry-Smith and you've been joining the journey on Highways to the Past. Archaeological excavations on the A428 are part of the proposed National Highways Black Cat to Caxton Gibbet Improvement Scheme managed by Skanska. This 17km project aims to improve journeys between Milton Keynes and Cambridge, bringing communities together and supporting long-term growth in the region. You can follow the journey at nationalhighways.co.uk, on Facebook at A428 Black Cat or on Twitter at A428 Cat. Highways to the Past is led by staff from Mola Archaeology. It is produced by Catherine Newton and features cover artwork designed by Tracy Wellman. Mm -hmm.